All right. Thanks for praying with me. So, uh, any Marvel fans in here? Anybody like the Marvel movies? Okay, I like the Marvel movies, okay? I've always kind of liked superheroes growing up. And I, I got into the Marvel, I like, I, I got more and more into the Marvel movies as they went on. I thought they were really great. And so if you're really into the Marvel movies or if you've been watching them and you haven't made it to the end of them yet, there is going to be some Infinity War spoilers here, okay? And the, if, you're, if you have a problem with that, that's fine. It's five years old, okay? The movie is five years old, I think. So that is on you. You're not a Marvel fan, all right? Or you're late to the party. I'm sorry. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I like the movies a lot. Like I'll go uh, to the midnight premieres, only they're not really at midnight anymore. You could go at like three the day before or whatever. So that's usually what I try to do or, or I try to go the day of because I don't want to see any spoilers myself. And so, uh, so I've, I've become really... Uh, into these Marvel movies, and I was really excited for Infinity War. This is one of the Avengers movies. This is where all the heroes come together, and so I was really excited for that, and so I saw that the day of, but then I, as I finished the movie, I realized I had missed a huge thing in the Marvel movies and in Infinity War in particular. Here's, for those of you that aren't nerds like me, here's the thing. There's a bad guy and he wants to take out half the universe's population so all the planets can kind of thrive and have more resources for themselves. That's kind of the plan of this bad guy, and the Avengers know he's coming at some point, and they're going to fight. All the superheroes are going to fight him at some point. And so this plan was all throughout the movies. Like, he mentioned it, and in my defense, I went to the bathroom while he's talking about it with his daughter for a long time in that movie, but this was his plan. It was pretty clear, but I kind of just, like, was like, oh, cool, like, whatever. Like, and, but then, what happens at the end of Infinity War is Thanos wins. He gets to accomplish this plan, and he does this whole thing, he snaps, and then, and then half of the universe disappears. And this is why I say I miss it. I almost don't believe that I missed it this bad, but I missed it this bad. Because then what began to happen is half of all the Avengers, who I'd been watching for the 10 years prior to that, they just start disappearing. They start turning to dust. And I'm going there like, what? <laughs> like, Black Panther. <laughs> like, what? No. His movie just came out. Like, what is going on right now? Not Peter, not Peter Parker, no. And so I'm freaking out. Like I had totally met, like I had not put two and two together that half of the universe meant also half of the Avengers, okay? And so the movie ends and I feel like I just was at a funeral. Like this is, I was just, I was going through it. I missed this huge part of the Avengers movies, even though it's mentioned, even though it's talked about, even though I heard it with my own ears, I had kind of missed it. Maybe I didn't, I don't know, but I just remember being very shocked and surprised that all of the, half of the Avengers started disappearing. I say that, I say all that because in the Gospel of John, I have almost missed a huge theme in the Gospel of John. There's this theme today that we're going to be talking about that is a huge theme throughout the Gospel of John that I've probably, I know that I've read because we go through it verse by verse here, but I've missed this huge theme in the Gospel of John, and this theme is this idea of Jesus's sentness. This idea that Jesus was sent by his Father to this earth to restore all things. Now, I, I haven't missed that in general. I know that idea in, in general. Certainly, you've heard me say these kinds of things. But what I missed is how often in the Gospel of John, 
Jesus refers to his own sentness. How often Jesus talks about his own sentness. There's at least 40 to 60 times where Jesus talks about being sent in some way. And it's almost always sent by the Father. And, it's, and I even went through and I counted it. And it's like 30 different instances. So it's not just 60 mentionings like, that are kind of all like five different instances or something. It's 30 different situations that Jesus is in at least by my count, where Jesus talks about his sentness from his father. And I almost missed this. Like we talked about it a lot and we kind of talked about it to the, like, to the side. It was probably never one of the main points of any of the sermons that I, that I gave in the Gospel of John. And yet, Jesus is mentioning it time and time and time again. Now, it's good that I caught it just in time because today... We are going to see the resurrected Jesus talk to the disciples, and what he's going to say to the disciples is, just as my Father has sent me, even so now I'm sending you. And so this idea of Jesus' sentness is really important for us to get because Jesus transfers that sentness to us. To anyone that is a disciple of Jesus, Jesus transfers that sentness, that sending into the world. And so luckily I didn't miss it as bad as I missed it in Avengers, but I caught it just in time for us. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to go through this short passage where Jesus appears to, to the disciples. We'll, we'll talk about that passage a little bit, but then we're going to spend some time and we're going to look at three ways that Jesus was sent. Three, three, three kind of categories we see in particular where Jesus is mentioning his own sentness, and we will look at how those categories of Jesus' sentness inform our sentness and how we should be sent into the world. Okay, does that make sense? All right, let's, I don't know if it did, but let's hop into it. John chapter 20. If you're new to church or the Bible, uh, there are kind of two parts of the Bible. There's an Old Testament, there's a New Testament, okay? And the New Testament starts with Jesus' life, and it starts with four different tellings of Jesus' life from different eyewitness perspectives. And so uh, that's where we're at. We're in the fourth of those books, John chapter 20. It's about this far into your Bible, like, I don't know, 80%, two-thirds, something like that. And so we're going to be in John chapter 20. Where we've been in the story is this. Jesus was crucified. He was killed on a cross. He was put in a tomb. And then last week, he came out of the tomb. And a couple of the disciples went to look for him. And they found the empty tomb. And then Mary Magdalene, in her grief, finds Jesus as well. And Jesus says, hey, go and tell my brothers that I am, I'm back. I'm, I've come back from the dead. And so Mary Magdalene goes to do that. And so that's where we're at in this part of the story. It's, it's the night of that day where Jesus first reveals himself to Mary Magdalene. So verse 19, we're going to go all the way through 23, but I'm going to break this up as we go. So verse 19 says this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Let's pause there before we read the next couple of verses. So Jesus has come back from the dead. 
There's been evidence of it. Some of the disciples have, have seen evidence of it. Mary Magdalene, who is also a disciple in one sense, but not in the 12 disciples sense, she has seen the risen Jesus. And they're kind of all, they're hanging out and they're talking about what did we see? Are we really seeing this? But they're still scared of the religious elite. They're still scared of these Jewish leaders. And so they're hanging out behind locked doors because they figure, hey, if they kill Jesus to really stop this Jesus movement, they're probably going to come and kill us next. And so they're hanging out behind locked doors and Jesus just appears. Okay, this is one of my favorite verses because, I don't know, I think this means in the resurrection we might have superpowers, okay? We might be able to teleport because Jesus, I don't know how he got in there, but he teleports into the room even though, even though the doors are locked. I'm gonna, if we don't have superpowers in the resurrection, I'm going to have a conversation with Jesus on our behalf, okay? I'm going to say, hey, I read this, you did that, so my resurrected body should be able to too, okay? So Jesus has teleportation powers. He goes into there and his greeting to them is peace be with you. Something we should notice in this little passage here is Jesus' greeting. He's going to keep greeting the disciples this way. And, and the reason I think we should notice this is because if you go back to John chapter 16, where Jesus is preparing the disciples for what was about to happen. He's preparing them for life without him. Life without him when he was on the cross and life without him in one sense as he ascends to be with his father one day. And one of the promises that Jesus makes to the disciples in John chapter 16 is, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you wholeness. I'm, I'm going to give you total shalom, as the Old Testament Hebrew word uses as peace. And so Jesus comes to them and he says, peace be with you. It's like Jesus is fulfilling his promises that he just made in, in John chapter 16. It's like Jesus is saying, my death and my resurrection, that's the only thing that can really give you peace. Peace is now secure because of my death and my resurrection. That's what Jesus says to them. So they're freaking out. Jesus uh, teleports into the room. He shows them his hands. He shows them the side where it still has the scars, the wounds from the cross. And, and, and then again, he says, peace be with you. And the disciples become overjoyed. Now joy was another promise Jesus gave them. If you go to John chapter 16, this is another thing Jesus said. Joy will be coming. Joy will come to you. And so Jesus is fulfilling his promises to the disciples in uh, this moment. Let's keep going in the passage and see if there's any more that he fulfills. Verse 22, after Jesus said, I'm sending you, he says, And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Okay, so... Jesus does fulfill another promise. This was another promise that Jesus had made to them. He said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is going to reside in you. You can go back and read and see how at length Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as a promise of what he was going to do, of, as a promise of, of really God's unfolding mission in the world. And so Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I think Jesus is speaking symbolically here. We know from Acts chapter 2 that that is when the Holy Spirit comes in his fullness. We know from, I think, even things, other things Jesus said that he's going to go to be with his Father before the Spirit is sent in fullness. But I think what Jesus is trying to do is symbolically say the cross and the resurrection has made it so you can receive the Holy Spirit. 
receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe Jesus is even partially commanding them, almost saying like the next step in this process of God's mission to restore all things is for you to receive the Holy Spirit and be a Spirit-filled people. And so Jesus says that to them symbolically, or there's a lot of theological debates about that, but I think symbolically. And then he says this kind of confusing thing about, hey, who you forgive, I'll forgive. Who you don't forgive, I won't forgive. And it's, it's this kind of confusing phrase that we'll talk about in a couple of minutes here. But let's, let's get back to this idea in the center of this passage about Jesus' sentness, where Jesus said, the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. Let's get back to this idea. This is the thing I almost missed, and I'm glad I didn't miss it. Because what Jesus says is, hey, I was the sent one, and now you, the disciples, and us with us, any of us that consider ourselves disciples of Jesus, we are the sent ones. That's absolutely wild to me. That the, that the Son of God was sent into the world as part of God's mission to restore all things. That makes sense to me. But now the Son of God is sending us, the disciples, out into the world as well. And so the first thing we got to get about this sendingness is this should be one of our fundamental identities as Christians. We should consider ourselves sent ones by Jesus. We've been sent into the world by Jesus. And so my question for you is this, before we even get into these three different ways that Jesus was sent, do you consider yourself sent by Jesus into the world much like he was sent by his father into the world? My guess is you probably don't. My guess is we, we probably aren't sitting around thinking about that very much but in this passage, we see that's a fundamental part of Jesus' commissioning of his disciples for mission. The Father sent the Son, and now the Son sends us, filled with his Spirit. So God's not just working in our, our lives in a way to get us into a relationship with him, although that's a huge part of it. But God wants to form us into a missional people meaning a group of people living out God's own mission on this earth to restore all things. That's what God wants to do. That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to form us into a missional people. That's why we are a sent people. That's why we're sent out into the world. And so if Jesus is sending us as the Father sent him, that means we are to live sent as he was sent. And so I want to look at some of the various ways that Jesus talked about his own sentness. I want to see some of the context in which Jesus is describing his own sentness, or even how he says, I was sent for this or for that, because I think that will inform how we are sent into the world. Because I could just go, hey, so we're sent, go out into the world, I figured it out. Like, but we can actually look at the Gospel of John, and we could look at how Jesus describes his own sentness, and that can inform how we live out this identity of being sent into the world. And so there's three ways that I think, three categories of Jesus' sentness that I, that I want us to look at, and I think they kind of describe a lot of the instances where Jesus talks through this in the Gospel of John. So let's start with the first one. The first way that we see Jesus being sent is he was sent to help us see God. 
So now, you and I are sent to help people see Jesus, which helps people see God. Okay? So let me, let's look at John 12, 44 and 45, where Jesus essentially says this about his sentness. So you can know I'm not just making this up. And Jesus cried out and he said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. So part of our sentness, part of our sentness is to help people see Jesus. And when people see Jesus, they see God. So you have been commissioned by Jesus to help people see Jesus. Jesus was commissioned by his father to go out into the world and help the world see God in the flesh. And now Jesus commissions us to help the world see God in the flesh. You've been commissioned by Jesus to help people see him. That seems so wrong to me that, that, that we, that us, that we've been commissioned by God to help people see God. That seems off to me. The Father sending the Son, that makes sense to me. But Jesus sending us, it doesn't make sense to me. He sends us. A bunch of ragtag, beat up, traumatized, weak, depressed, can't even stop sinning for a day group of people into the world to show the world God. That doesn't make sense to me. And we often fail. And sometimes it even feels like we often push people away from God. But that's what Jesus has done. He's taken that group of people and he's sent them into the world. And I think... The reason he's done it this way is because God wants his power and his grace on display. Think about it. If God could take that group I just, just described, and some of you might feel insulted by being described that way, but so you can just say that's how Anthony describes himself. He takes that group of people, and somehow through that group of people for the past 2,000 years, more and more people have been finding Jesus. More and more people have been seeing God. God is displaying his power. He can display himself even through broken, sinful humans. If I was God, that's probably not the way I would do it. But I'm not. And so Jesus sending us, even though it's not quite the way I would do it, it displays God's power, but it also displays God's grace. If God is a God of grace, like the Bible often talks about. I think one of the best ways he can show us that is by working through a church, working through people like me. It shows that God says, listen, my love is unmerited. You cannot earn my love. You just get my love because you get my love. It is a free gift that I'm going to give to you. I'm going to swallow you up in my love and just give it to you freely. And when we are a when he brings in all kinds of people and a bunch of us are a mess, it displays God's grace. So not only does doing things this way, sending a group of sinful people out into the world show his power, but it shows his grace. He's a powerful God and he's a gracious God. That's who our God is. You and I are sent by Jesus to help people see Jesus, which helps them see God. And it might seem like a bad idea, but it's true. And that's what God has done. So do you take that aspect of your sentness seriously? 
Are you thinking through, how do I get people to see Jesus and his spirit through me? How do I get people to see Jesus through me? Do you think through life that way? The more that I read the Bible, the more I'm convinced that God, one of the main ways, if not the main way, that God is going to dis- display himself to the world right now until he returns is through his people. Go, go read the New Testament. God wants to display himself through us. He wants people to see Jesus through us. That is fundamental to our identity. And so, if we are sent in that way, church, are we taking that seriously? Are we going out into the world, into our various worlds that we are in, in our various lives? And are we going, I'm sent by Jesus to help people see Jesus? Is that something we're doing? I think we need to take that calling seriously. When people see us, do they see Jesus? When people come here and join our community, do they see Jesus? We are to display Jesus to the world. Okay, so this, let's look at the second way. The second way that Jesus was sent. So this, uh, this is what I'm going to call it. Jesus was sent to speak the words of his Father. So now we are, spe- we are sent to speak Jesus' words to the world. Look at a couple of verses that, that show that. Uh, John 3, 34 says this. And this is Jesus talking about himself, essentially. But it says this. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he who gives the Spirit without, for he gives the Spirit without measure. And then look at John 7, 16. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Okay, so when Jesus is talking about his sentness, one of the things he wants to make clear is he's sent by his Father. He's sent by God. And so as Jesus is walking the earth as a rabbi, he's trying to make it clear he's not a rabbi of his own accord. He's not a rabbi from some other person's teaching. He's not been trained up by another rabbi. He's trying to say, the sort of teacher I am, the sort of things I teach, come straight from God. The sort of things I say, they are the words of God. Jesus wants to make it clear he's not just some rabbi. He has been sent by his Father God into the world to speak the words of God. So, if that describes Jesus' sentness, it should describe our sentness. We are sent into the world to speak the words of Jesus. And this is why I think Jesus says this kind of confusing thing about forgiveness there. That's kind of, what what does that mean? We have to understand the things that Jesus taught and the things that Jesus spoke about. One of those things was Jesus, he said this, you could read this in Mark chapter one. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What Jesus was saying there is, the kingdom of God is here in me. So turn from your way of doing life and walk into my way of doing life. Walk into my kingdom. Turn to me. Turn away from those things. And so Jesus went about teaching about the kingdom of God so much. And a main point of Jesus' teaching, and you'll miss it if you don't read it carefully, is that the kingdom of God is found in him. That he has brought the kingdom of God into the center of history. 
Right? If you, if you were a good Jewish person of that day, you'd say, well, the kingdom of God is going to come one day when God comes at the end of time and he judges everyone. But what Jesus was helping the people of God see was that the kingdom of God was breaking into the middle of history. And he was inviting everybody to participate in it. He was inviting everybody in. And then one of the things that Jesus would do to display that kingdom is he would do these miracles for people to see. Not to prove that he was God. I don't even think it was necessary to show that he was God. I think Jesus did these miracles because God restores his kingdom. And, uh, and those miracles show us what God's restored kingdom looks like. What God's restored creation looks like. And so Jesus would go about displaying his kingdom, teaching about his kingdom, inviting people into his kingdom. And then one of the things he would do very often, right before a miracle, right before someone needed some kind of healing, Jesus would say to that person, your sins are forgiven. And people would be like, this is blasphemy. And people, I, even, I bet the people getting healed would be like, that's great, but could you help heal me? And so what we see in Jesus' ministry, his kingdom ministry, his kingdom displaying ministry, that he is the king that's brought the king, kingdom into the center of history, and he has the power to forgive. And then what we saw people do is they either accept, and they listen to him, and they accept God's forgiveness, or their hearts are hardened, they turn away from God, and they don't accept God's forgiveness. And so when we are sent into the world to preach the words that Jesus preached, which are a lot of those same words about his kingdom, it's not that I, as a pastor, or we, as the people of God, get to go, you're forgiven, you're in, I don't like you, you're out. That would be awesome, but that, <laughs> I'm sinful. Um, but that's not how it works. But what happens is we say, this is who Jesus is. This is the sort of king he is. This is what his kingdom is like. Turn from your sin and you get forgiveness in him. He is the suffering servant that God has talked about in Isaiah. Turn to Jesus and find forgiveness in him. And people either listen to that message and they find forgiveness in Jesus, or they don't listen to that message and they, turn, and they don't find forgiveness in him. But either way, we... As the people of God, if we are going to be sent like Jesus is sent, we're sent out into the world to speak the words of Jesus to the world. We are to teach the world the things about Jesus that Jesus taught about himself. All throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is trying to say, guys, I'm life. All throughout the Gospel of John, it really feels like Jesus is saying, like, your way is darkness, your way is death, your way only will lead to death. You can't get out of this death problem. And it feels like time and time and time, not feels like it, time and time and time again, Jesus says, no, I'm the life that you need. We are called to go out into the world, speaking to the world, saying, Jesus is the life you need. He's the light to all of the darkness in the world. We're called to tell people who are trying to find all sorts of ways of life. We are called to say, Jesus is the only way. He's the only way to God. He's the only way of life. When people are dissatisfied with life or finding thing after thing after thing to fill themselves in order to try and satisfy themselves, we're called to go, to go and say, Jesus is the thing you're really thirsty for. 
He is the living water. He's the only thing that will actually satisfy you. When we feel confused and alone and forsaken in this world, we can tell people we have a good shepherd over us. When death screams in our face and scares us and freaks us out and depresses us and pushes us down by its effects, we can say Jesus is the life. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the hope. We are sent into the world to speak the words of Jesus, and Jesus said all of those things. He is all of those things. You and I are to speak those words to the world about Jesus. Some people, sometimes I talk to Christians, and they kind of wonder why certain Christians are so passionate about talking about Jesus. And I get it. I've got a dad like that, and you just get into these awkward situations in public all the time with him. But... And I get that aspect of it. But I shouldn't wonder why he's passionate about speaking about Jesus. Because my dad and others like him know that he's been sent into the world by Jesus to speak the words of Jesus. It's fundamental to our identity as Christians. Jesus talks about his own sentness as being part of uttering the words of God to the world. Now our own sentness is uttering his words, which are the words of God to the world. Are you speaking the words of Jesus to those around you. I think this aspect of our faith is becoming much more uh, like something that we just don't even do. It's something we kind of balk at, something we don't want to do. But it's something we're called to. May out of the worship of Jesus in our hearts cause us to speak the words of Jesus to this world. The world needs to find life in Jesus, and Jesus has sent us to tell them where they can find that life. It's in him. Okay, let's look at one more way that, that Jesus' sentness informs our sentness. I'm going to take a quick drink. So one more way that Jesus' sentness informs our sentness is Jesus, he was sent to perform the works the Father gave him, so now we are set out into the world to do those same sort of works, okay? Let's look at two verses that show that. Uh, John 5, 36. Jesus says this, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John the Baptist. For the, Father that, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus says that, in the context of, of healing a man on the Sabbath and the religious elite not liking it. And this was part of his response to them. Let's look at another place where Jesus talks about his works. John 9, verse 4, they, they come upon a man who was born blind, and the disciples are kind of asking some theological questions about it, and this is what Jesus says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. From those verses, and I, I think even others, we could see that the Father has sent his son Jesus to do restorative works in the world. Not just speak about God, but to do restorative works of God in the world. 
again, sometimes we, we look at Jesus' works and we, we just look at them as if, okay, that was just Jesus trying to prove that he was God. But I think it's better to say that the reason Jesus did those works is so that God himself and his kingdom would be displayed in the world. So that we could get a, a, a glimpse of what full restoration of creation looks like. And so if Jesus' sentness was in part defined by these restorative, kingdom-displaying works, then our sentness now needs to be in part defined by restorative, kingdom-displaying works. Where is the world broken? Where is the world marred by sin? Are we as Christians in those places? Or do we just avoid them? Your sentness as one that does the work of God should be going into those sorts of places and bringing peace, wholeness, love, and restoration. That's what we're called to do. That's what we've been sent to do. That's one of the ways that we are sent as the people of God. And before you get a savior complex, first, don't. Don't get a savior complex. You can't save the world. Only Jesus can save the world. But realize that wherever you are in life, Jesus has sent you there to see the brokenness, recognize it, and to bring his restoration into those spaces. Think through that. And when you step into those things, know your own capacity, right? Know your own capacity. Don't do things that are going to kind of like kill you emotionally. But also, I would say, be willing to make sacrifices. Again, we're, we're, I've noticed in our faith, we're kind of moving away from this thing that's in theology called the cruciform life, a life shaped after the cross, a life shaped with sacrifice. That's what we're called to as Christians. And so sometimes we're going to have to sacrifice in order to bring restoration into these sorts of broken places that we see. Also know that we can't fix every little thing we see. Only God can do that. Sometimes we will look to bring restoration into an area, and we won't bring restoration into an area. And we have to lament and pray through that with our Savior. God has sent you into the world, and the places that you are specifically, read Acts 17, if you don't believe me, to display him. And one of the ways that you, you display him is by, by doing these restorative works these restorative, God-displaying, kingdom-displaying works in the world. Where, you, where is the brokenness you see? Where is, where is the world marred by sin? Are you in those places, or, you, or do you avoid them? Do you know someone lonely? I'll say this. Do you know someone lonely and annoying? What if you got lunch with them every week for a year? It's not very glamorous, but maybe you know someone lonely and annoying so that you could be in their life showing them God's love and grace. Do you feel like you have extra time on your hands? What if you just went to the Find Your Place in Foster Care and Adoption event and just began to pray, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you leading me into? What can I do here? And, and perhaps there is something that you can do in that world. And, and again, that's not very glamorous either. And honestly, no one except for Kaylee is going to thank you. And it's going to be a lot of hard work, and you're going to feel inadequate. And you're going to be tired. 
but you'll be displaying God in those situations. Do you know someone with special needs of any sort in your life? What if you became a friend to them? Not just someone in their life. What if you became an actual friend to them? And they're your friend, too. Again, not very glamorous. Again, maybe some of these things look small and insignificant. But maybe, some of the, maybe we have to have a smaller vision of the restorative works we do. I think sometimes we have this grandiose vision, like I have to solve the water problem on the globe instead of, you know what? Here are the, here's the brokenness around me. I'm going to step into those things. Just like Jesus was sent into the world to step into the brokenness and bring restoration to the brokenness, we now are sent into the world to bring restoration to the broken areas that we see. That's part of our identity as Christians. That's part of our identity as being sent ones. If we as Christians have a hard time seeing what restorative works need to be done, then I don't think we're living out our sentness. If we as Christians don't have at least some stories in some seasons of our life of consistent, restorative work that we are doing, then I don't think we're living out our sentness. You and I are sent by Jesus into this world to do restorative kingdom works. I am am glad that I caught this theme in the Gospel of John just in time as we talked about it. Jesus was sent by his Father for all kinds of things. To save, to speak, to teach, to work, and to help people see God. And now we are sent in the same way. And we have to understand the power and the accomplishment of any of those things is only found in Jesus. It's only found in what he did on the cross and with the resurrection. That's the only way any of this stuff is displayed. But in some mysterious way, Jesus now sends us. And the only way we could do those things with any sort of sustainability, with any sort of not, uh, any sort of grace-driven effort rather than shame-driven effort is by abiding in Jesus. That's the only way we can do these things. But we are still called into the world because we are sent into the world. Like Jesus was sent I don't think we're, we're grasping how wild it is that Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, now I have sent you. That is wild. Do you feel purposeless at times? You're like, I don't know, I don't have much purpose in life. Just try living out your sentness. Just read all the places where Jesus talks about his sentness and try living that sentness out yourself. You'll find plenty of things to do and plenty of purpose. And then you'll probably go, well, I I wanted more of my own autonomy, so I don't know if this is the purpose I wanted. But this is who we are, church. We are a sent people. We are sent out into the world. So may we see God as the divine sender, and we see ourselves as his letter to the world about who he is, what his love is like, and how to find life in his name. May that be us. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, again, I do not get why this is the way you are doing things. I don't get why you're sending us. I mean, I do in some ways, God. I know it's to display your power and display your grace. 
And so, God, my prayer is help me. Help me to see your power and your grace through this mission of yours to restore all things. And now we are in this time where you're using us, your people, the body of Christ, the church, to display you to the world, to, to participate in this mission to restore all things. God, help us with that as a church. Help us to be centered in the gospel. Help us to be, abide in you. Help us to find uh, sustainability in that work only by being centered in you and understanding that your gospel has saved us and that's why we can do these things and that's why we are sent into the world. But God, help us to not forget that we are sent. God, speak to us right now. Show us some of the ways we have missed this, some of the ways that we have not seen that this is part of our fundamental identity as your people. God, as a church, in all the ways that you are sending us, specifically as Redemption Flagstaff, would you give us wisdom in what that looks like? Would you help us to know not to step into too much, but to step into the right amount and to not, not step in at all? Help us to know how you've sent us into the world and what sort of things you've sent us to do. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us and guide us in that mission? We need you for that. We can't do this on our own. We can think up all these sorts of things and we'll never end up doing them or we'll do them in a way that is far less beautiful than how you would do them, God. So God, enable us, equip us, and help us to see our sentness by you. Thank you for having enough mercy to send people like me out into the world. Amen.